Our mind is our enemy. For centuries, humans have prided themselves with the education of the human mind. We still do, which is why so many people worship at the altar of education, and why so many parents say to their child, you must go to school. Or as adults, we often say, I am going back to school, hoping to find some sort of financial salvation from the challenges of life. Humans realize it is the development of our mind that separates us from the animals. And granted, the human mind has done some miraculous things, such as rockets to the moon, life-saving medicines, wonderful art, and an extremely high standard of life. Split-screen mind The problem is the human mind is a dualistic, often ego-driven mind. Our mind is like a split-screen TV. It sees the world through the prism of right and wrong, good and bad, up and down, in and out, pretty and ugly. That is why all humans have a good side and a dark side. Many wonderful and magical human experiences are derivatives of our split-screen mind. So are wars, arguments, fights, divorces, crimes, unhappiness, addictions, depression, murders, and suicides, all derivatives of the same dualistic mind. Our educational system educates our split-screen minds. If we did not have smart people and stupid people, schools would go broke. Religions would go broke without saints and sinners. Why do religions promote holy wars and crusades against other religions? All sports are played for split-screen TV minds with winning teams and losing teams. If there were no winning teams and losing teams, the multi-billion dollar sports industry would go broke. Without an enemy, real or imagined, the multi-trillion dollar global military-industrial complex would go broke. Why are so many students walking into a classroom and murdering their own classmates with guns? Why is advertising about making our outsides more beautiful while youth depression grows? Why is social media so antisocial? Without Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, we would have governments that functioned. The question is, how do we turn off our split-screen, dualistic, ego-driven minds before we destroy ourselves? Evolution or Extinction Technology is going through evolution after evolution. Just look at what has happened since the turn of the century. A few years ago, the iPhone did not exist. Today, iPhones are everywhere. Our minds are in the process of developing space tourism and driverless cars and trucks. The United States spends billions on weapons, yet a hacker with a laptop can do more internal systems damage than all our military weapons. When I was a kid, no one locked their doors. Today, locks on doors will not keep predators, thieves, or perverts out. They enter invisibly from all over the world. Today we have billionaire millennials born in the 1980s. At the same time, in many parts of the world as well as in the United States, youth poverty is rising. The human mind is flawed. Evolution 
The problem is that technology is evolving, but humans are not. Humans have not changed much in the last 500 to 1,000 years. Throughout history, humans have always used the latest technology against other humans. Today, much of social media is antisocial bullying. This is the problem with having split-screen, dualistic, ego-driven right and wrong, up and down, good and bad minds that never shut up. We have all seen people walking around talking to themselves. In reality, we are no different. We are always talking to ourselves, commenting, criticizing, labeling, and kibitzing about anything and everything. How many times have you been talking to someone and their body was there, but they were not? Their mind was talking to themselves. How many times have you been that person? For humans to evolve, the next education level will require us to turn our minds off, shut up, and tune into God. Again, I'm not talking about a religious God. I support religious freedom. We all know religions have a lot to answer for, and many religious zealots thrive in the garden of good and evil. If humans do not learn how to turn off their split-screen, right-and-wrong, dualistic mental TVs, we will use our mind-created technology to destroy ourselves. If we do not learn how to turn our minds off, humanity is finished. We are all angels. During one of the New Age seminars I attended, the presenter told this story. Not too long ago, all of us were happy little angels floating around heaven. One day, God, the general overall director, announced, I need a few volunteers to go down and create heaven on earth. Immediately, all the little angels raised their hands, saying, Pick me, I'll go. I want to save the world. After selecting the new recruits, they were prepared for the birth process, parents and country assigned, and wished good luck. Before saying goodbye to God and the rest of the angels, one of the new human beings asked, What can be so hard about this? Doesn't every human being on earth want what we have, heaven on earth? Yes, they do, smiled God. Remember, they are all angels too. So why will our job be so hard? Why will it be so hard to create heaven on earth? Because I've given all human beings a mind. What is wrong with having a mind? When you have a mind, your mind takes over and you forget about heaven. The first thing your parents will do is start educating your mind to their way of thinking. Send you to church to learn about the right God and the wrong God and then send you to school, teaching your mind there are smart people and stupid people. So our job when we get to earth is to remember to get past our mind, remember we are all angels, and create heaven on earth? That's right, God said, smiling. The word most used by humans is the word I. I comes from the ego and the mind. I stands for illusion. I creates separation, not unity. The moment a child learns the word I, all connection to heaven is lost. The angels listened to God's warning about the word I. 
Finally, an angel asked, And what happens if we fail to remember we are all angels and fail to create heaven on earth? You will keep dying and being born again and again until you finally remember you really are a little angel. The little angels looked at each other, and then God. This will be my last direct communication with you, said God. In a moment, heaven will be erased, and you will receive your own mind. But how do we talk to you? asked one of the angels. When you get to earth, you will be taught to pray. When you pray, you are talking. I am not. How will you talk to us? You will never hear my voice again, smiled God. I will communicate with you through stillness. Do you mean silence? No, said God. Stillness is that peace beyond silence. You sense stillness when you see a lake early in the morning, before the wind creates waves. Stillness is the peace you feel when you gaze at the heavens. How will we know it is you talking to us? When your mind is silent and your being is still, you will know I am with you. As long as your mind is talking, you will never hear me. Your mind is very arrogant. Your mind will actually believe it can understand me and is smarter than I am. Your mind is extremely arrogant and knows nothing. What will we know? asked an angel. You will know I am with you when you are at one with a beautiful sunset, one with the stars, one with a tree, a flower, a bubbling stream. When you are at one with what is outside of you, you will sense I am with you. When your mind is silent and your being still, and your inner soul connects as one with the flower or stream or human being in front of you. I am with you in the present, in the now. When we are at one, we will be with you? asked one of the angels. Yes. As soon as you receive your mind, you will become two. You will be separated from all of my creatures and creations. Your mind will label criticize, judge, and pretend it is God. How do we connect with you? Through stillness, connecting to other of my creations. And you can also meditate. When you connect your inner beauty to the beauty outside of you in stillness and in meditation, I will be with you. When we pray, we will talk to you. For you to talk to us, we must practice shutting our minds off. Being still, meditate, and you will talk to us? Yes, but you will not hear a thing I say. What will happen if we practice stillness, meditation, being in the now? Asked one of the angels. You will be with me more and more. One day you will see a flower, and from your soul, not your mind, you will say, Oh my God. That will be me talking to you through the flower. One day you will sense the innocence of a child, and in your soul you will gasp, Oh my God. In that moment, it will be me talking to you through that child. Every time your soul says, Oh my God, I am with you. And that will be you talking to us?
asked the angel. God just nodded. Now go. You will not remember any of this, but when you feel the peace and wonder of, oh my God, in your soul, more and more every day, you are with me because you are remembering you are a little angel working with me to create heaven on earth. And someday we may live every moment in an oh my God blissful moment. God just nodded. But we do not have to be little angels on earth, do we? asked another angel. That is right, smiled God. That is why you will be given a split-screen, ego-driven mind. As a human being, you will always have the freedom to choose which of the two screens your being wants to be. Always remember, everything on earth is duality. You will have two eyes and two hands. You will think in right and wrong, up and down. Your human challenge will be to get back to being one with life, connected to everything, not split in two. It was time to go. To each little angel, God then handed beautifully wrapped presents. Here is your mind. Each mind is unique, which means you will all be humans, but very different beings. Learning to be one with each other, connected in spirit, loving each other in spite of your differences, will be your challenge. As all the angels accepted their beautifully wrapped presence, God said, Now go. The moment each angel accepted the beautifully wrapped gift of a mind, their memory of heaven was erased. The day in 1972 I cried out, Mayday, 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 was not just for me, but for a band of brothers, my crew of five. Even in war, we are all doing our best to create heaven here on earth. War and peace are opposite sides of the same coin. Church Lady My mom was a church lady. Every time I watched Dana Carvey play his church lady character on Saturday Night Live, I'd burst out laughing. My mom was not as obnoxious as the church lady played by Carvey, but my mom had girlfriends who were just as churchy. My dad was not church dad. His church was coffee at home with the Sunday paper. Mom insisted all four kids go to Sunday school and to church. Finally, my younger brother revolted and refused to go. I followed. My two sisters liked church. One sister became a Buddhist nun one of the few Western women ordained by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. I reached a peace agreement with my mom. I had to go to church till I was twelve, but I could choose my church. I did not have to go to my mom's church. I simply did not like the pastor. He was not about love and peace. He was all hell, sin, and damnation. For about two years, I went with my classmates to their churches around town. I learned a lot by going to religious services of different religions. The church I liked best was Pentecostal, or the Church of the Holy Rollers, as my mom's church lady friends called this denomination. My mom was a bit embarrassed her son was a holy roller, yet while singing, clapping, and shaking my tambourine, 
I did feel the presence of God. On my twelfth birthday, I stopped going to church and went surfing. No Atheists in Foxholes The night before every mission in Vietnam, I would go alone to the bow of the aircraft carrier and sit in silence. For about an hour, I would sit in peace, listening to the rush of the carrier's massive bow cutting through the waves. It was peaceful sitting in silent solitude as the ship surged up and down in harmony with the ocean swells. I was meditating, turning into the Spirit of God. For the last few minutes, I would pray. I did not ask to live or to kill. I simply prayed I would fly with courage, not for me, but for my crew. If we were to die, so be it, as long as we flew with courage. The word courage is derived from the old French word courage, or heart. We flew with love, at one with each other. There is an old saying that goes, there are no atheists in foxholes. As I sat alone on the bow before every mission, I remembered my mom's wish that I attend a church. I now knew why going to church was important to her. One day we picked up an emergency medical evacuation. A young Marine had stepped on a landmine and we were flying him to a field hospital. A leg was gone. He was hemorrhaging, crying out for his mother as life left his body. He stopped calling for his mom just before we reached the hospital. All of us were crying as the medics removed his lifeless body from our aircraft. I went for a walk, finding a private spot to say thank you to my mom. She had died two years earlier, at the age of 48, while I was still in flight school in Florida. Every night before a mission, I included her in my thoughts and prayers as I sat on the bow of the aircraft carrier. I flew with her spirit in my heart the next morning. About a month later, while parked in a remote field, I found young boys planting satchel charges in our aircraft. My mind immediately labeled them Viet Cong. They were no longer little boys. They were now the enemy. Immediately, I grabbed one of the boys, put my pistol to his head, and demanded the other boys get away from the aircraft. The boy I was holding kicked me, bit me, and was attempting to get away. I pulled my hammer back and was preparing to kill him. Suddenly. I heard my mom pleading with me, saying, Please, please do not kill him. I did not give you life for you to take another mother's child. Pausing, realizing I had better listen to my mom before I did something that would scar my soul, I put the hammer of my pistol down. Still holding on to the boy with one hand, I picked up a soccer ball in the other and signaled the other boys to play soccer with me. It took a while, but soon we were one again, all little boys playing soccer rather than killing each other. Flying back to the carrier that evening, I realized my career as a Marine was over. Secret to my success I am often asked, what is the secret to your success? How did you write the number one personal finance book in history? How did you get on the Oprah Winfrey Show? 
How did you get to write two books with Donald Trump, now the President of the United States? How did you survive the ups and downs of your life, the giant mistakes, the failures, the betrayals of friends and partners, the millions in losses and millions in gains? There really is no logical answer. My only answer to you, the reader of this book, is the secret to my success had nothing to do with my formal education or what I learned in school. The secret to my success came from my search for spiritual teachers. Teachers like my mom, my friend's girlfriend Linda, who got me to drop my ego, New Age seminars and spiritual books written by spiritual masters, living and dead, who taught me to be silent, be still, and become a student of God, the general overall director. The New Ancient Age during the 1950s and 1960s, ancient Eastern and Asian wisdom washed up on America's shores. Hippies traveling the world, often seeking drugs, came home with ancient teachings such as Transcendental Meditation, TM, and Transactional Analysis, TA. The Beatles went to India to study with their guru, and soon the effects of Eastern music were heard in their music. True to Western culture, ancient Eastern practices such as meditation have been modernized, often stepped up in speed and effectiveness, repackaged and made more acceptable to Western minds. Westerners do not have the time or patience to meditate for 16 hours a day for 20 years in search of enlightenment. Westerners want it faster and better. That is where EST, Shirley MacLaine, Timothy Leary, and LSD and New Age seminars come from, including Tony Robbins teaching millions to walk on fire. Today there is mindfulness, and EST has morphed into landmark. The good news is more and more people are asking for help. Today, Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympic athlete in history, is the spokesperson for online therapy. Prince Harry acknowledged he needed help as he is still grieving the loss of his mother, Princess Diana. Asking for help is the first step in healing the pain all humans feel. Dividing is easy. Uniting is hard. Since uniting is difficult and dividing is easy, my key team members practice the same spiritual practices I practice. The purpose is to make us a tighter, stronger, more productive team. We all follow the process described in The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. 1. Meditate following Holosync Meditations, which combines ancient Eastern meditation with Western processes developed by Ilya Prigoye, who won a Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1977, and Gorgi Lazanov's research into superlearning, developing faster ways for humans to learn, including meditation. 2. Twice a year, we get together for a three-day book study. One book study is a business book, and the second book study is a spiritual book. Examples of the spiritual books we have studied are Rules for a Night by Ethan Hawke, Awareness by Father Anthony DeMello. The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle.
I thank these writers for contributing insights to the parable of the little angels. Studying together twice a year and following the same daily spiritual practices keeps us united in a world that is always dividing, which includes our school system. The Story of Judas While in junior high school, a friend's father came to class to show us a coin he claimed was one of the thirty silver coins paid to Judas to betray Jesus. The coin and the story of Judas's betrayal fascinated me. In 1972, I was sent to the island of Okinawa to stage before being sent into Vietnam to join an operational combat squadron. Our commanding officer, CO, on the island of Okinawa was my favorite commanding officer of all time. He was a Mustang, which means he started out as an enlisted Marine, a rifleman during World War II. During the Korean War, he became an officer and flew the A-1 Sky Raider, a propeller-driven bomber. The A-1 was nicknamed the Flying Dump Truck because it could carry a lot of ordnance and stay on station a very long time. For the Vietnam War, our CO was promoted to major, and his job was to train new pilots like me, fine-tuning us before sending us into the real war. One day during our morning pilots meeting, our commanding officer said, One of you is a Judas. And much like the story of Christ and the disciples at the Last Supper, the eight pilots started asking, Is it me? Am I the Judas? Our CO stood in silence for about five minutes, watching each of us squirm, questioning ourselves at the possibility of being the Judas. Finally, one of the lieutenants raised his hand and asked the major, What makes you so certain one of us is a Judas? Our CO smiled, pleased that one of us had finally questioned him, asking him what made him so sure one of us was a Judas. After grinning for about another minute, the major said, Because there is a Judas in all of us. The eight new pilots sat there for a moment, letting his answer sink in. Slowly, our CO said, When you get to your operational squadron, do not expect anyone to welcome you or be nice to you. No one will trust you because they do not know you. They do not want to get close to you because new gunship pilots are often dead within 30 days. They do not know who will be flying your plane, a Marine pilot or a Judas. They will not know if you can be trusted until after you have been tested under fire. Until you have been tested, you will be the FNG, the effing new guy, a potential Judas who will betray himself and his fellow Marines. After my crew and I were rescued from the ocean, I was promoted from FNG to pilot. The Power of Spirituality Today, the most important thing I do is follow the process in Miracle Morning, Meditating and studying spiritual masters is the magic in my life because I am in better control of the Judas in me. Ray Dalio, founder of Bridgewater Associates and one of the richest and most successful hedge funds in the world today, told Maxim's Justin Rorlick this about meditation. Dalio, like any hedge fund manager worth his salt, won't divulge the secrets of his investment strategy. However, he has called transcendental meditation 
which he began to explore as a college student after hearing the Beatles had become practitioners, the single most important reason for whatever success I've had. Dalio has donated millions of dollars to the David Lynch Foundation, which champions the meditation technique. Martin Scorsese and Jerry Seinfeld are also devotees. And he'll pay the tuition for any Bridgewater staffer who wants to study it. I will leave you with my thoughts on meditation, spiritual education, and Judas. Judas is a fake teacher. People who allow the Judas in them to stab others in the back or stab themselves in the back are playing God and are no longer a student of God. The true purpose of meditation and spiritual education is to remind the Judas in us that we are all little angels. Still Seeking Wise Men and Wise Women Rich Dad Radio Show In Sunday school, I learned one of life's great secrets. The three wise men were wise because they went in search of a great teacher. When I was nine years old, I went in search of the teacher that became my rich dad. My search for great teachers continues to this day. Today, most people are cautious about the food they put in their body. How many people are as cautious about the information they put in their brain? Just as there are people and businesses selling junk food, there are people and businesses selling junk information. When it comes to money, how many people choose their teachers wisely? When it comes to money, how many people read books or attend seminars in search of wise men and women? Many people would like to, they say but they just don't have the time. Rich Dad Radio was created for these people. There are three parts of my work that I love. They are, one, I get to work and learn from my partners and advisors in my businesses. Every day is real-life education, not theory or textbook learning. Two, I am invited to be a speaker at seminars and conferences all over the world. I only attend seminars and conferences that have interesting speakers, people I can learn from. Three, I get to interview real teachers, real wise men and women on the Rich Dad Radio Show. I invite great teachers that I meet at other seminars to join me on Rich Dad Radio. In other words, I spend most of my time working and learning from wise men and wise women. I invite you to join Kim and me each week for our Rich Dad Radio Show. Every week, for one hour, we discuss topics and issues with some of the leading minds and thought leaders in the world today. In just an hour, you will learn more than you learn in a week at work. Rich Dad Radio is a global podcast that gives you the opportunity to listen and to learn from real teachers. All Rich Dad radio programs are archived, which means you can listen to the programs on your schedule. If one of our podcasts is important to your friends, family, or co-workers, you can listen to the program together and discuss what you learned. I think you'll find that your learning and comprehension will skyrocket. In one hour, your financial genius will come alive. Keeping Pace in a Fast-Moving World as you know, the world of money is changing. Fast. Even if the world economy is slowing, the world of money is speeding up. 
Bucky Fuller predicted that humanity would be entering the age of accelerating acceleration. Unfortunately, due to an obsolete education system, millions of people are struggling financially and falling further and further behind. Here are a few of the interviews you'll find on Rich Dad Radio. Interviews with very wise people from inside the real world of money. For those who want to catch up, get ahead, and stay ahead in today's changing world of money, I recommend dropping in on the following interviews. G. Edward Griffin, author of The Creature from Jekyll, A Second Look at the Federal Reserve. G. Edward Griffin opened the eyes of the world to the inner workings of the mysterious and most powerful bank in the world, the Federal Reserve. Ed is a researcher. He digs for the real truth. I take advantage of every opportunity to listen to Ed Griffin. Richard Duncan, author of The Dollar Crisis, Causes, Consequences, Cures. Richard Duncan was an economist with the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. He is an insider with insights from the perspective of the world's largest banks. Today, Richard lives in Thailand and is an advisor to wealthy individuals and private investment funds. Anytime I want to know what is going on in the macro world of money, I call Richard. Richard offers a subscription service, MacroWatch. The best thing about MacroWatch are the charts Richard generates, turning numbers into easy-to-understand graphs so you can get the picture of what is going on in the world. Nomi Prinz, author of Collusion, How Central Bankers Rigged the World. Nomi Prinz is a Wall Street insider, deep inside. She has been managing director at Goldman Sachs and Bear Stearns. After the 2008 crash, Nomi traveled the world, learning firsthand what was really going on after the crash. She has put her findings in her book, Collusion, How Central Bankers Rigged the World. Bert Doman, author of The Wellington Letter. If your wealth is in the stock market, you'll want to consider subscribing to The Wellington Letter. Bert's ability to predict and explain the ups and downs and twists and turns of the stock market borders on pure genius. He has gotten people in and out of markets early and explains why. Bert has the uncanny ability to see what really is going on inside the markets. Although I am not invested in the stock market, I look forward to receiving the Wellington Letter. Bert takes the time to educate and inform, using his 40-plus years of experience to explain why things are happening in the global markets. He is a real teacher, a friend, and a regular guest on Rich Dad Radio. James Rickards, author of Currency Wars, The Making of the Next Global Crisis. Jim is an attorney and investment banker. He is an insider from the hedge fund industry and was with LTCM, Long-Term Capital Management, a giant hedge fund founded by Nobel Prize-winning economists. LTCM nearly collapsed the world economy when the Russian ruble collapsed in 1998. The collapse of LTCM gave Jim insights into the fragility of the world economy 
an experience he took with him when he became a consultant to the U.S. Defense Department and the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. Jim's books, his presentations, and his interviews on Rich Dad Radio are electrifying. The following are examples of who else you'll find on archived Rich Dad radio shows. Donald Trump, the Donald, announced he was thinking of running for president on an RD radio show. David Stockman. David was Ronald Reagan's director of the Office of Management and Budget. Ken Langone, founder of Home Depot. Mohammed El Arian, former CEO of bond giant PIMCO. Rich Dad Radio is offered for free from the Rich Dad Company. We do not advise. We do not sell anything. We only educate via real teachers. You can learn more about Rich Dad Radio at richdad.com. Your questions, Robert's answers. Question. Do the team members who surround you now have similar personalities to the team you served with in Vietnam? Alejandro B., Colombia. Answer. Yes and no. The biggest difference between Marines and civilians in business is Marines go through an extreme unifying experience. Most civilians know these experiences as boot camp, Navy SEAL training, or jump school. When I flew with my crew, we were all Marines before we flew together. Having this shared extreme bonding experience made us stronger as a team. We come from the same culture, family, or tribe. When we climbed into our helicopter, we all had different jobs and different training. For example, two of us trained to be pilots, two trained to be weapons specialists, and one was an aircraft mechanic. Although we had different jobs, we were first and foremost all trained to be Marines. In the civilian world, people come together from different experiences, cultures, and tribes. They do not share an extreme, unifying experience. When I joined Xerox after the Academy and the Marine Corps, Xerox spent a lot of time and money attempting to get the employees to bond, to develop a team spirit, a corporate culture. Xerox sponsored team-building exercises, corporate retreats, and awards dinners, hoping to develop the band of brothers culture that the military develops. While I found these corporate team-building exercises interesting and useful, they never got close to the extreme culture the military develops. On a scale of 1 to 10, Xerox bonding was a 1, and the Marine Corps bonding was a 100. And there is one thing that corporate team-building can never develop. When my crew and I climbed into our aircraft, there was an unspoken code. That unspoken code was not service to God, country, or the Marines. The unspoken code was that we were willing to give our lives for each other, for our band of brothers. There were no women flying in combat at the time. One day, my crew chief received word from home that he was the father of a new baby boy. That same day, we were flying into combat. As the pilot, my job was to make sure my crew was ready to fight and die if necessary. I vividly recall asking my crew chief, Is it okay with you if your son grows up without a father? Without hesitation, the crew chief nodded and smiled and said, Yes, sir. 
The good news is that that crew chief returned home six months later to meet his first child. The Marines' mottos are Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful, death before dishonor, which needs no explanation. Simply said, Marines are willing to give our own life so our fellow Marines could live. I have never found that level of spirit in the civilian world. Question. Regarding your going exterior experience, would you say that this closely resembles Einstein's theory of relativity in that time can be different for the observer depending on the situation? Brian R., USA. Answer. I do not know. You would have to ask Einstein that question. Personally, being exterior is not that complex. It is simply being aware of the thoughts coming out of your mind. For example, I was in a clothing store yesterday, and I could hear my mind chattering away, saying, you would look really good in that jacket. People will really think you are cool when you wear that jacket to the club. Did I buy a jacket that I did not need? I did. That is a real example of my mind, my ego, not my spirit, running my life. My real point for mentioning this phenomenon of going exterior is to point out that the purpose of our schools is to develop our mind, not our spirit. The academy and the marines developed my spirit, not my mind. That is why the words mission, honor, code, discipline, and respect are the core words of the military. Other words I hear from most people is, what's in it for me? Those are the core words of a greedy person. The key to real health, wealth, and happiness is not letting our mind and our ego run our lives. The mind wants to know, how much money can I make? The spirit wants to know, how many people can I serve? You may have to go exterior when you ask yourself the latter question. Question. How do you differentiate a good seminar from one run by a bunch of scam artists trying to rip you off? Mark K., USA. Answer. I do my best to avoid the words good and bad. The more I get out of my mind and live in my heart, I can see the good in the bad and the bad in the good. In December of 2018, I took some heat when I said publicly, I hope the stock market crashes. A real investor is able to see the good and the bad in a crash. A fake investor lives in a fantasy world and actually believes, or believes he believes, a stock market crash is bad. In the real world, the best time to buy any investment is right after a crash. In the fake world of investing, markets only go up. Markets never crash. That is delusional. Rich Dad taught his son and me, good and bad are two sides of the same coin. F. Scott Fitzgerald said, The test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. In my classes, I say, If we want more peace and prosperity in our lives, we need to train our brains to see both sides of the same coin. Question. 
Do you think that the introduction of the Internet, the iPhone, and other technologies will eventually expose the elites and what they have done to the rest of us? Hoao B. Brazil Answer. That's a very interesting question. My answer is yes and no. Fuller predicted humanity was entering the age of integrity. New technologies will make it easier to see what humans have not been able to see, exposing the flaws in grunge. The problem is the age of integrity will lead to more chaos and disruption as people and organizations attempt to survive when they are exposed or wiped out, as technologies continue to wipe out the ignorant, corrupt, lazy, and inefficient. Whenever I get comfortable and complacent, I simply remind myself of the Kodak company. One day, Kodak film ruled the world. In a flash, digital photography put a giant company out of business. That means none of us is safe and secure in a world of accelerating acceleration of technology. And as Andy Grove of Intel wrote, only the paranoid survive. This is why I recommend spiritual education. Your mind is paranoid. Your spirit is much more powerful than your mind. Part 3. Fake Assets My banker always said, your house is an asset. But whose asset is it, really? RTK Introduction, Part 3 why are the poor and middle class getting poorer? Because they invest in fake assets that they think are real assets. RTK Introduction to Part 3 Fake Assets The rich do not work for money. Savers are losers. Your house is not an asset. These are statements from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, first published in 1997. These statements were so controversial back in 1997 that every book publisher we approached turned the book down. A few of them stated, you do not know what you are talking about. That was more than two decades ago. In 2018, many highly educated elites continue to say that I do not know what I am talking about. Statements like, your house is not an asset, and savers are losers, violate every cell in their highly educated elite brains. They want to believe their house is an asset, and that saving money is the smart thing to do. The problem is, a house is a fake asset. So are our savings, our money, and our retirement savings. In part three of this book, you will learn that most people are investing in fake assets or counting on fake assets to provide a paycheck for life once their working days are over. In part three, fake assets, you will find out that most people are investing in real liabilities, not real assets. The good news is that in part three, you will find out why most people invest in fake assets and how you can invest in real assets. Chapter 14 Why Retire Young? The Next Big Crisis In June 1974, I signed my discharge papers and drove off the Marine Air Station in Hawaii. Returning my last salute from the Marine Guard, 
I drove to my new home in Waikiki a free man. I had been in the military since August 1965, the month and year I entered the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy at Kings Point, New York. My new home was a one-bedroom, one-bath condo in the Ilikai Hotel, a luxury hotel on Waikiki Beach. I chose the Ilikai because it had condominiums that could be placed in the hotel rental pool, i.e. turn my home liability into an income-producing asset. The main selling point was I had full use of all the hotel amenities, pool, gym, restaurants, nightclubs, and room service. The price was right, only $32,000 for a tiny 600-square-foot hotel condo. As a 27-year-old single male, 600 square feet in the heart of the nightlife of Waikiki was all I needed. I started working at the Xerox Corporation in downtown Honolulu the following Monday. I did not take any time off because I now had a mortgage to pay. Retire in 20 years My poor dad did not want me to leave the Marine Corps. He wanted me to stay in the Marine Corps for 20 years and retire. On both my mom and my dad's sides of the family, retirement benefits seemed to be more important than the actual job. On my mother's side, two of her brothers had careers with the fire department of the state of Hawaii County. They retired with government pensions and benefits after 20 years of service. My mom's two brothers did not have to work after the age of 40 with a state of Hawaii retirement. They fished and played golf for the rest of their lives. Once a year, they traveled to Las Vegas on their annual pilgrimage to the mainland. They enjoyed a great retirement. On my dad's side of the family, it was a similar story. A few relatives actually had two, and one, even three, government retirement pensions, plus Social Security and Medicare benefits. The uncle with three retirement pensions, who first retired from the Army after 20 years, then retired from a federal government job after five years, was working on a third retirement paycheck from the state of Hawaii, was the envy of my dad and the reason why he wanted me to stay in the Marine Corps for 20 years. The 401k Plan In 1971, President Richard Nixon ended convertibility between the U.S. dollar and gold. It marked the start of a massive transfer of workers' wealth to the academic and financial elite. It was those same elites whom Stephen Brill wrote about in Tailspin. Earlier in this book, I quote Brill's account on how the academic elite from our nation's top schools began creating exotic financial products, such as CDOs and MBSs, financial derivatives that add very little value to the economy and rip off the working class, yet make the academic and financial elite extremely rich. In 1974, the year I left the Marine Corps, was also the year the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, which protected employees' company pensions, went into effect. Four years later, 401k, another financially engineered retirement program, got its beginnings. There was a problem with this. Suddenly, non-investors, men and women without any financial education, were expected to become investors. That was the start of a massive financial ripoff by two big to fail banks, the U.S. government and Wall Street. 
The years 1971 and 1974 will go down in history as turning points. Fifty, maybe one hundred years from now, scholars will look back at 1971 and 1974 as the years the academic and financial elites of America perpetrated a massive cash heist, stealing the wealth of millions of baby boomers who innocently participated in trillion-dollar government-sanctioned cash heists known as retirement plans. By the way, 1972 was the year Nixon opened the door to China. The Looming Retirement Disaster Today, the world faces many growing disasters. Disasters such as the poisoning of the environment, massive global debt, and cyber-terrorism. A disaster in the making that few are paying attention to today is the same disaster my poor dad faced in the 1970s entering his retirement years without a retirement paycheck. Pensions going bust. Consider these reports. April 16, 2018. Investors Business Daily. Pension crisis. As the media relentlessly focus on the federal government's burgeoning debt, a new report says that states face their own ticking debt bomb the exploding liabilities for lavish state and local public employee pensions. Reform won't be easy, but there is no choice. June 22, 2018. Simon Black, Sovereign Man Blog. The city of San Diego has a $6.25 billion shortfall on obligations promised to current and retired employees. The state of New Jersey has $90 billion in unfunded pension liabilities. And of course, Social Security and Medicare have unfunded liabilities totaling tens of trillions of dollars. The situation isn't any different in Europe. Spain's Social Security Reserve Fund has been heavily invested in Spanish government bonds for several years. Bonds that had an average yield of negative 0.19%. You read that correctly. Unsurprisingly, Spain's pension fund is almost fully depleted. The United Kingdom has trillions of pounds worth of unfunded public pensions. Even conservative Switzerland has a public pension that's only 69% funded, a seemingly fantastic number by today's dismal standards. Last year, the Swiss government proposed a plan to save its pensions, asking to increase the retirement age for women by one year from 64 to 65, the same as men, and increase VAT by 0.3%. But the plan was rejected by Swiss voters in a national referendum, the third time in 20 years that pension reform failed to pass. And that's really the key issue here. Pension plans are almost universally toast. Most of the time, politicians just ignore the problem and try to kick the can down the road to the next administration. But occasionally, they try to do something to help. Yet whenever they do, voters reject the plan, or the union sues, or something else happens that prevents much-needed reforms from passing. This merely accelerates the inevitable. These pensions are going bust. March 4, 2018 Martin Armstrong, Armstrong Economics Blog The largest public pension fund in the United States is the California Public Employees Retirement System, 
CalPERS, for civil servants. California is in a state of very serious insolvency. We strongly advise our clients to get out before it is too late. I have been warning that CalPERS was on the verge of insolvency. I have warned that they were secretly lobbying Congress to seize all 401k private pensions and hand it to them to be managed. Mingling private money with the public would enable them to hold off insolvency a bit longer. Of course, CalPERS cannot manage the money they do have, so why should anyone expect them to score a different performance with private money? Indeed, they would just rob private citizens to pay the pensions of state employees and politicians. CalPERS has been making investments to be politically correct with the environment rather than looking at projects that are economically based. Then, CalPERS has been desperate to cover this and other facts up to deny the public any transparency. Then, because stocks they thought were overpriced last year, they moved to bonds, buying right into the bond bubble. Clearly, California's economy peaked right on target, and ever since, there has been a steady migration of residents out of the state. July 30, 2018 Sarah Krause, The Wall Street Journal Moody's Investors Service estimates that local pensions have unfunded liabilities of about $4 trillion, roughly equal to the economy of Germany, the world's fourth-largest economy. October 11, 2018, AFP Trillions in U.S. net worth vulnerable to recession, IMF The biggest source of risk comes from state and local government retirement pensions, which can lose money when Wall Street sinks, meaning the shortfall has to come from local government budgets. Towns and states then have to cut spending elsewhere, creating a drag on the economy. Nationwide, such pension funds are already underfunded by about 8% of GDP. Keep listening for more startling and sobering facts. Zimbabwe in 2000, Zimbabwe's money became the laughingstock of the world when President Robert Mugabe began printing trillions and quadrillions in fake money to pay government employee pensions and war debts. Many wealthy Western nations are following Zimbabwe's financial policy of print, print, print. Nicaragua in 2018, Nicaragua is on the verge of revolution because the government cannot pay for the government employees' retirement. Rich cities. Today, in 2018, millions of families are living on the streets of many great cities such as New York, San Francisco, Seattle, and Honolulu. Italy. On October 13, 2018, The Economist reported that Italy, in particular, is a ticking time bomb. It would not take much to set off a new crisis, which would be extremely difficult to control. Panic in Italy might radiate out across financial markets, putting a chill on investment and growth worldwide. The Wall Street Journal, July 19, 2018 Rich States the three states with best-funded employee pensions. 1. South Dakota, 100% funded. 2. Wisconsin, 99.9% funded. 3. Washington, 98.7% funded. Poor states. 
and the three states with the worst funded programs, 48, Connecticut, 51.9% funded, 49, Kentucky, 48.9% funded, 50, Illinois, 47.1% funded. Mark Miller, Reuters, July 27, 2018. Ohio Workers' Pension Fund woes are symbolic of national problem. Roberta Dell has worked for 46 years making lollipops, and she loves her job. But she worries that retirement may not be as sweet as the dum-dum lollipops she bags. Dell works for the Spangler Candy Company in Bryan, Ohio, a family-owned business that employs 550 workers and makes the venerable candy. Spangler was organized by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters Labor Union in 1950, and it became part of the Central State's Multi-Employer Pension Plan in 1972. But the outlook for her pension plan is highly uncertain. The Central State's pension fund has said it is on a path to insolvency within 10 years. The fund, which covers more than 400,000 retirees and active workers, has become a symbol for all that has gone wrong with multi-employer pension plans, traditional defined benefit plans jointly funded by groups of employers. These are typically small companies in industries like construction, trucking, mining, and food retailing that would not typically sponsor a pension plan of their own. I always thought the pensions would be there for me when it came time to retire, Dell said in an interview. I thought of it as my savings plan. Dell, who is the Teamster chief steward at Spangler, testified earlier this month at a hearing of Special U.S. Congressional Committee in Columbus, Ohio, that examined possible solutions for workers like her. More than 10 million retirees are covered by 1,400 multi-employer pension plans, but roughly 200 plans are severely underfunded the result of stock market crashes in 2001 and 2008 to 2009, and industrial decline that led to no consolidation and declining employment. The problems threaten not only the pensions of individual workers, but also cause the multi-employer insurance program of the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation to become insolvent within a decade. The PBGC is the U.S. government agency that acts as a backstop to troubled pension plans by ensuring the pensions of millions of American workers. Note, very few American workers have heard of the PBGC. They will when the PBGC goes broke and their pension is downsized. Dell is 65 and widowed. Her husband also worked at Spangler before his death in 2015. She expects to work a few more years before retiring and expects her pension to pay about $1,200 a month. Social Security will provide another $1,400. But as things stand now, pension benefit cuts loom in 2025.